Hey everybody, Clinton here. Before we get started, I do want to let everybody know that this uh, episode kind of had some of the worst audio quality on my end. I'd love to blame at least one of my guests, but nope, 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 nope. The fault lies about 95% on me and 5% on my equipment. So... Bear with us, folks. I tried to clean it up as best I could. Sorry, it sounds like I'm talking to you with a tin cannon string. Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. this show we look at a comic more or less in the span of time it takes to down a cup of coffee. Well, of course you realize because you downloaded the show and possibly looked at the show notes that this is not going to be that format at all because it's holiday time. And uh, I had so much fun last year with that Marvel book and spreading it out over four different episodes. I thought I'd do the same thing this year. But with DC. So, this year we're going to look at DCU Holiday Bash 2 from 1997. You know, we're moving a little further up toward modern day. Last year we were in like 92, 93, somewhere in there. You know, time keeps moving forward. Sort of. Kind of. But of course... I can't do it alone. I had to bring in some guests, some friends, some podcasters. Whether or not, you know, a person falls into all three categories, we'll see. So, starting out, I reached out to the podcastosphere and got what was the cheapest person available. <laughs> not necessarily in terms of how much money they charged. Just in how they dress. The appearance fee is non-negotiable. Hey, that McDonald's gift card is in the mail, sir. Ah, oh, there's such a story there. There's such a story there. We don't have time for, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you can't tell already, I have the one, the only, the irredeemable shag. Now, you cannot blame me for the length of this episode, because I'm your first guest, but you invited Tom Panarese. I mean, that's a good guarantee, like, three-hour block right there. So, this is not my fault if this is a long episode. Just think, some people have to have Tom for a teacher. <laughs> I'm excited to, do, to talk about this. So, 1997, what a year. Like, I love me. 
some DC comics, right? And I love me some 90s. I am all about some 90s. And 97 was actually a really good year for DC comics. Not that most people like the 90s comics, but I love this era. Okay, explain. Okay, well, first of all, it was the rebuilding of the Justice League, right? So you've got, uh, you know, the Grant Morrison JLA, right? As much as I love my Bwahaha League, Prior to the Morrison League, it was not in a good place. It was in a very, very bad, bad place. And so along comes more. And, and I'm not talking about Giffen DiMatteis. I'm talking about the people that came after them. Anyway, so, you know, Morrison comes back or starts on the book and resets everything, gets the JLA on great footing. Warner Brothers store is cranking out merchandise. You know, we I'm not kidding. We've got With Michael Bailey in the Warner Brothers store. Dude, and it's Christmas time right now. So, dude, that's all I can think about. Like, Warner Brothers <laughs> store was where I went Christmas shopping for my friends or myself. Um, and then, you know, you've got the Superman animated series on TV. I mean, dude, this was a great time to be a fan of DC Comics. I'm still trying to get over the fact that Firestorm was in a lead book and you said it was a bad place. No, he was No, no, no. You're getting yourself mixed up there. See... <laughs> Before Grant Morrison, it was the Justice League America book where they were like were living on a satellite and they had a dinosaur on their team named Yaz. No, Firestorm was nowhere near that book. Oh, this was a this was a really bad period. So, so you don't you don't want to have <laughs> What's that? extreme justice in with all that? No, no. Ex- oh. Huh, that was the same time, wasn't it? Okay, yeah, it was a bad book. So there we go. I love Extreme Justice. I, I have a big place in my heart for it, but it was a bad book. But again, 97, so we're, I'm, 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 I'm vamping a little bit because I'm trying to figure out whether Final Night was 96 or 97. I think it was a bridge between the two, if I remember right. But like Final Night's one of my favorite DC crossovers from, the, from that era. Uh, I mean, and it was being published, okay, right at the end of 96, it looks like. So, but it leads right into 97. So, I mean, it's just so much. I mean, long haired Superman, Kyle Rayner, Wally West, Tim Drake, you know, a great era for Batman. I mean, all this stuff. It's such a good time. Such a good time. I actually have a display case of action figures, and one of my shelves is. I, it's the DC Universe in 1996, which again pretty much bleeds into 97. So you've got long-haired Aquaman with a hook. You've got you know Connor the Superboy, long-haired Superman, Tim Drake, Impulse, Kyle Rayner, Wally West, um, a, a, a Jack Knight, Starman. I mean, it's just so much good stuff from this time, man. I keep forgetting that Starman is still around. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why in the back of my head I'm like, oh, it, you know, it's like a 60-issue run. No, it's like a 100-issue it's, it's an 80-issue run, and it was started in 95, so yeah, it's still going at this point. So, yeah, if you hadn't guessed, I'm a little passionate about this time of DC Comics. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what comic are we talking about? Because you haven't told the people at home yet. I did so tell the people. You said, said was, D, you said a you said a DC, DC comic. New Holiday Bash Two. That is the name of the comic, sir. I don't think he told you guys at home, but so you know what that you means. Don't listen, you know, you only listen when you talk. Are you talking? I didn't even hear any of that. See, exactly. So, folks, if you know your DC Holiday Bash, right? So this is the awesome one. It's got all the characters looking into a present. You know, they're looking down right at you, like you're inside the present as they're all looking in there, and it's all glowing green from Kyle Rayner's ring. So it's very Kyle centric, and I love me some Kyle, which is awesome. But when you go inside, guys, you know you're going to hear a lot of the stories over the next few months, but or a few episodes. But there's an ornament page you can actually cut 
out your ornaments from this book and you have these cool ornaments like Kyle and Superman and Batman and all stuff. And I don't know about you, Clint, but I have brought my safety scissors and we are going to make these ornaments tonight. Well, I I don't know that my Kindle is ever going to be the same after I go at it with a pair of scissors to get these pages, but I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> Dear Santa, bring <laughs> Shag no more electronics. <laughs> well, I am reading this on the DC Universe app, so yeah, that's a bit of a problem, I guess. I do. They should totally pay us royalties. Uh-huh. Since we do this for free and for the love. Oh, we which do? Which is also free. Wait, we talked to that appearance fee, right? Yes, Shaq. Okay. McDonald's. <sighs> Stop with that. I mean, seriously, I have like st- like uh, evil nightmares of the stomach issues from that. It wasn't Tulsa. It was halfway between Tulsa and Oklahoma City, McDonald's. It's always a nightmare. It's horrible. Okay, this is... Full disclosure, people, this is the man who is excited to eat Carl's Jr. when he went to L.A. I eat it three meals a day when I go to L.A. Thank you very much, sir, for a whole weekend. <laughs> All right, let's talk about a comic book. <laughs> You're turning this into a Tom Panerese-length episode. <laughs> Tom's going to be so pissed when he hears this. <laughs> All righty. So the first story right here in the front of the book that way, Shag doesn't have to turn so many digital pages. Because, especially, you know, since Shag looks at everything in panel by panel, this probably took like four hours. I'd like to rephrase all of that. What Clinton's trying to say, folks, is I am the keynote guest. So, just saying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because, you know, when a tribute to Poison opens before, you know, Motley Crue. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I hate poison so much. Go, please. <laughs> please talk about the comic book. Don't worry. We'll, we'll sing Kansas after. Woohoo! Good. I'm, I'm there for that. Or, you know, Wichita, a tribute. <laughs> We're going to be singing Christmas carols in a minute here, man. Just going to sing Christmas carols. That's true. They could. They could do anything. Okay, yeah. Anyway, back to the book. Our first story is called The Present. It's written by Devin Grayson, who I am always hit or miss with. Agreed. Uh, pencils by William Rosado. Inks by Sal Busema, folks. Woohoo! Colors by Lee Lowridge. Letters by John Costanza. And I'll just go ahead and say it. The editor is Darren Vincenzo, who apparently edited the whole book. So if I say it on every episode, just remember I am recording these way out of order. So before we dive in, uh, everybody should probably know this is a Green Lantern, Green Arrow story. But But not the Green Arrow and Green Lantern you were expecting. Right, because... I was expecting that guy from the TV show and that guy from the movie. I'm not even going to touch that. I just wondered if like, we're leaving space for the cricket sound effect or what. 
You made a reference to the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie, man. I'm not touching it. <laughs> That's also going to be in with McDonald's gift card. You'll have to touch it. I'll just watch the Blake Lively scenes. Oh, <laughs> uh, Shaq's right, folks. This is definitely not the Green Lantern Green Arrow that everybody thinks of when you hear those names. At least not in this is 1997. It is Kyle Rayner and Connor Hawk. Whoop, whoop. Probably a more fun team up. Certainly uh, more interesting and not a bunch of old fogies arguing about politics. <laughs> no, true. <laughs> no, no, nobody's cooked chili and nobody has tried to seduce a teenager. So both of all wins. Tell me I'm wrong. Ollie's chili is wonderful. Okay, that's fair. Okay. If you like heartburn <laughs> and eating acid. <laughs> right. Okay, so Shag, where was good old Kyle around this time? Sure. Okay, so Kyle Rayner, uh, at this point, he had been Green Lantern for four years, almost four years exactly, uh, to be honest. So uh, right now on the shelves would have been Green Lantern number 95. So that's 45 issues after his first debut. And, uh, you know, if, if you know a lot about Kyle, and especially his early days, and he's created by Ron Mars and Daryl Banks, or the really creative team behind him. And their goal was to create, and, and they never tried to hide this, uh, basically a Peter Parker of the DC Universe. You know, a guy who had, uh, you know, was nobody, nobody special, a normal guy who suddenly had responsibility thrust on him, and everything seemed to go wrong for him at first, especially. So Kyle's pretty much your, your at this, especially at this point, kind of your Peter Parker kind of guy. And um, so at this point, Ron Mars was still writing the book, uh, Daryl Banks was still drawing most of the issues. Uh, there were a lot of single-issue guest artists here and there. But again, after four years, check this out. After just those four years, Kyle has already been through Zero Hour, Underworld Unleashed, uh, Final Night, which included Hal's sacrifice. So Hal's already dead at this point. Um, Genesis, he did his own hero quest. And he's just racing toward issue 100. Uh, him and Connor Hawk by this point, have already had two major team-ups, uh, one in the Green Lantern book and then one that crossed over between Green Lantern and Green Arrow. So they've already had two major ones. You know, there's a long history with Green Arrow and Green Arrow, obviously. Green, I'm sorry, Green Lantern and Green Arrow teaming up, obviously. And so they try to sort of replicate that with Connor and Kyle and, and develop their own relationship. So they kind of became uh, buddies. Now, they didn't butt heads as much as uh, Hal and Ollie, but they were kind of fun to see this, you know, this next generation of friends. And in regard to the Justice League, um, Kyle joined the Justice League about a year and a half before this in that JLA um, Midsummer's Nightmare storyline. You know, and then Grant Morrison does the ongoing. So a year and a half since he joined the JLA, the Grant Morrison book's been going for just a little over a year. And at this point, you know, it's Grant Morrison and Howard Porter doing it. And right now they're in the middle of the Rock of Ages storyline. Did you ever read the Morrison JLA? Yes. What do you think? Well, you know, it's only wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So he really, you know, Kyle could be a star in his own book, but I think the JLA book really gave Kyle a chance for other people to try him out. Cause you know, there's a lot of hatred to Kyle at this point, you know, heat, all that nonsense, the acronym heat and all that stuff was out there. So JLA was a chance for people to really give Kyle a chance. And, um, I think I've forgotten heat. Uh -huh. brings it up. I know, I know now we're still in, in, 
there's absolutely no reason for me to bring this up other than I love it. Uh, we're about 13 months away from my favorite moment with Kyle in any Justice League comic, which is uh, Kyle is hanging out with Wally, and they've just gone to see Ray Palmer. And Ray Palmer says, and, and this is, again, it's 13 months in the future, but I don't care. I'm going to mention it. So Ray goes, good to see you again, too, Kyle. I hear the papers finally stopped calling you the new Green Lantern, <laughs> which it just cracked me up because, again, that's what everyone always called him, the new Green Lantern. So the point they're making there is after five years, apparently you stop being the new one and you just are them. So. Isn't that about how long it took Wally to stop being the new Flash? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Now, on the shelves the same time as this issue – and, again, Justice League uh, number 13, which is where they are, JLA number 13, I should say. We also were getting things like uh, Adventures of the DCU. I don't know if you remember that. Do you ever read that book? Uh, that, that's the animated. Yeah. Idea. Well, it's, it's where they took characters that had not been through animation yet and said, okay, uh, what's Wonder Woman going to look like? What's Kyle Rayner going to look like? What's, uh, what's um, you know, I'm trying to remember who else they threw in there, but they threw a lot of different characters. You know, Aquaman. Manhunter was in there a couple yep. Of so a lot of characters that would eventually find their way into the Justice League cartoon, but this is before that. So the reason I point this out is because uh, Adventures of the DC Universe number 11 was on the shelves, which was where Wonder Woman uh, had dealings with Green Lanterns. So again, a little bit of Kyle touching in there. Um, and this is unrelated, but it's always fun to say. The whole Electric Superman saga was going on. You know, Superman Red, Superman Blue, fun stuff. But the uh, last thing I'll mention about Kyle in this era is uh, we're 13 months away. Uh, besides that other Justice League I just mentioned, we're 13 months away from him appearing in animated form in the Superman animated series. So this is still even before then. So Kyle is still kind of in that realm of uh, you kind of had to be into DC Comics to know who he was. You know, it's not like it was uh, right there in everybody's face. Which is kind of interesting put him as the, the lead-off story here. Yeah, I think he was probably fairly popular. I mean, I, I know he was starting to appear on some of the merchandise in the WB store. I have a coffee mug, which features a lot of the Justice League characters, um, and, I, and Kyle's featured very prominently on it. And, and I, I don't have—I used to keep it on my desk. It's not here right now. I could have sworn it was from '97. Um, again, WB store. But um, so he, again, he was—he was just just on the cusp of becoming well known. And then, of course, you know, Green Lantern Rebirth would screw all that up. But Kyle's a, he's a rising star at this point. Well, that's what I was going to say. He had to have uh, had some popularity because he becomes Green Lantern in issue 50. And the series runs up to 181. And the only reason it stops is because Jeff Johns was like, nope, we're bringing Hal back. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So the other big star in this story is Connor Hawk. So I, I Connor... What he had to be around about about the same amount of time, didn't he? Uh, he sh- Connor shows up just within like a couple issues right after Zero Hour. Oh, so, okay. So Kyle's got about six months to a year. Okay. As far as like being an established character, mm-hmm. and as far as being a superhero, that's a little bit different <laughs> because I mean Connor starts out okay, so we. I have to backtrack. Ollie's in a dark place after zero hour because I mean, you know, he put an arrow into his best friend's chest, mm-hmm. which you know did exactly nothing for anything in that plot except for you know, <laughs> give Ollie a, an extra chip on his shoulder. So sort of like what's going to happen between you and me eventually, and we we all know it's coming at some point. So that's why I wear a body. 
Oh, smart. Planning ahead. Yeah. I was assuming you were going to shoot me in the chest, but that's fine. That's, I'm happy to be the one to shoot the arrow. That's fine. Uh, with my eyesight and archery skills. <laughs> yeah. So, Ollie takes off for this ashram monastery in Asia. They basically give him a roomie with, you know, this little 18, 21-year-old, what, roughly the same age as Kyle, whatever he's supposed to be. You know, Perpetually young adult DC Universe age. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, they, they both bounce ideas off each other, eventually go on adventures, palling around. Well, it turns out this dude is Connor Hawk, who just so happens to be Ollie's son. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Which is played up originally as Ollie has absolutely no idea that Connor's his son. Until about ten years later, whenever we get the uh, Archer's Quest storyline, where we, you know, it turns out Ollie knew from day one. Thank you, Kevin Smith. Or wait, uh, or was that, uh, or was that the other guy? <laughs> <laughs> the other guy, you know, Brad Meltzer, one of the two. Yeah, I think it's Meltzer. Okay. You know, don't quote me. I'm not a huge Green Arrow knowledgeable person. I, mean, I, I, I would stuff, but. yeah. See, I was kind of the same. Like, I would dip in and out uh, during the Connor era. Like, I, I love Chuck Dixon's writing, so I always enjoy the story. I liked Eddie Fryer's, all that kind of stuff. But I just, I never dived deep enough into it to really remember it all. But it, you know, it was an interesting character. I thought it was a neat progression because, I mean, let's face it. After Mike Grell was done with Green Arrow, there was nowhere to go with that character, and so they they really felt like they needed to do something drastically different. And Connor was definitely drastically different. I don't know that he ever really took off, but uh, it was a it was a neat idea. But you know, I mean, over the course of their adventures, eventually Ollie dies. <gasps> what? As one does in comics, right? And Connor takes over as the new Green Arrow. Connor eventually even joins the JLA as sort of an on-again, off-again member. And at this point of this story, he'd been a member for about uh, nine issues. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like you said, they're in the middle of the Rock of Ages story, uh, which, fun note for Connor, uh, you know, they fast-forward to a future 15 years ahead where Darkseid is, but uh, you get to see a grown-up Connor who looks very much like Ollie. Mm. Just, you know, Connor is a quarter Korean, a quarter black, and half Caucasian. So, make of that as you will. <laughs> it's Chuck Dixon, folks. He was, he was having fun. Mm-hmm. But in, in the uh, main Green Arrow book, Connor, um, well, like you said, Connor and Kyle had more or less just recently finished up the a three-part crossover called Hate Crimes. Yep. But that also means Connor's book was only about ten or so issues away from being canceled. Ooh, okay. It was a long period without a Green Arrow book. Hmm. I had forgotten that. Okay. Hard to, you know, can you even fathom that nowadays in the era of where, you know, what, seven or eight years of the Arrow TV show? Crazy. You know, I, I say long period that's a long time with a tentpole character. 
But yeah, especially, like you said, with a, a character who had an eight-season run on the CW. Yeah, yeah. Had an entire TV universe named after him. That's true. That is true. But okay. So, we don't have anything else to really add about these characters. Kyle's the best ever. And no one's done him right since Hal came back. Like, never. At least they finally put him back in a good costume. But did they? Did they really? Because they cha- the logo's not right. Well, at least the last time I looked. He was back in sort of the traditional costume, but they gave him the stupid regular Green Lantern symbol rather than his. Nobody's going to draw it by Daryl Banks anymore. Damn right. Alrighty, so the present, which is in the past. We're looking at it now. Yeah. Come on, folks. These are the jokes. It doesn't get any better. Sadly, that is accurate. You want quality revolution. <laughs> Come on over to my show. <laughs> it's oh. quality control, not quality. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Sunnybrook Fall, December 24th, 1997, 7.46 p.m. You don't have enough details there? I have so much to say. Are, are we going to talk about it? Like, because here's where I'm struggling. Like, I got, I got, like, from the first line, I got crap to say. But you tell me, <laughs> do you want to do your recap first, or should I start talking? Let me get through this recap first, okay. or otherwise we'll never get done. Do your recap. All right. Last-minute Christmas shoppers are running wild, trying to get those oh-so-special gifts. One guy keeps asking a semi-clueless computer salesman questions about the latest Wayne Tech computers on display. Outside, Kyle Rayner and Connor Hawk arrive. Kyle is naturally a last-minute shopper who really wants to get some gifts for his JLA comrades. Why has he decided to drag Connor along? Because Green Lantern and Green Arrow are the perfect traveling buddies. Oh. Okay, Kyle was actually hoping Wally would be at the Watchtower to help him, but, you know, Connor was the only one available. Still, nice to have friends along, right? Well, Connor was raised in a Buddhist monastery. He doesn't grasp this whole commercialism concept. But, you know, he's still supportive of his friend, I guess. Just as the duo, or Kyle at least, start to get into the shopping groove, the computer guy hacks into the mall's network and shuts down the power. No air circulation, no lights, no leaving. Shoppers start to panic. Kyle and Connor go into their greens, and Hope Heroes being present will help calm the crowd. Computer guy sneaks off into the sporting goods store, grabs a shotgun, and fires into the crowd. Green Lantern blocks the shot while Green Arrow gets off a shot on his own, right into the gunman's foot. As they approach, the guy takes a nun hostage at knife point. A nun! On Christmas Eve! (laughs) Green Lantern tries to reason with the man, but he's too upset. His girlfriend has left him for someone who can afford to buy her all the fancy things in life. Naturally, he's uh, depressed. 
was depressed that you know, all his love wasn't enough for her. But this hardly is the way to deal with those feelings, folks. Lantern and Arrow switch out, putting Kyle on crowd control while Connor talks to the man. He explains to the man that the first noble truth of the Buddha is that all existence is suffering. He tells the man that he's trying to hold on to something that isn't his to possess at all. Instead of focusing on the past or the future, he should just be concerned about the present. Connor succeeds in distracting the man long enough to take his knife and save the nun. Kyle pries the doors open. The day is saved. Afterward, Kyle tries to resume his shopping, including asking Connor what he wants. Connor explains that he has no attachment to worldly possessions and that the best gift would be to tell Kyle's friends how much they mean to him. But Kyle doesn't quite get the lesson and continues down his gift list. And that, folks, is the present. It's a fun little story. Yeah, it is. And you know it's 1997 because the dude hacked into the mall with an on-display computer. So, all right, we'll start there. So the, the story starts off right away with the guy's talking about, he's asking about the computer, and they say it's got three internal modem lines, which cracked my butt up. So I'm like, okay, sure, because you need three internal modem lines to get the best possible download speed. So in 1997, you can download all those pictures of Cindy Margolis. And, uh, <laughs> like, three guys got that joke. But anyway. <laughs> Let's see, 1997... So he's going at 56K. Yep, if he's lucky. Oh, wow. So uh, before even that, the mall, it's 747. Or basically, they, they reveal the mall stays open until 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve. 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve. What mall stays open until 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve? That's insane. Uh, every mall I know closes at like 6 on Christmas Eve. Maybe things were different in the 90s. I don't know. But I, I don't remember any mall being open that late on well, Christmas Eve. I guess it depends on where Sunnybrook is. Well, it doesn't matter. It's the time zone. I mean, that, that we're being told the time. In the, it's not like we're being told, like, you know, California in Eastern time zone. Wherever they are, it's, you know, going to be 9, which I just think is crazy. Well, what if it's like one of those Hallmark movies where it's the town that doesn't believe in Christmas or something? Then they wouldn't have a Christmas display in their mall. You're, you're using too much logic here, Shay. Well, when I'm on a show with you, I kind of have to. So you know this issue. You, do you know the Do you know the actual release date of this issue? Uh, the release date? No, I know it, the cover date is actually uh, January ninety-eight. Yeah, well, it was. It would put the release date what? It was actually acor- well, according to Mike's Amazing World, it was released on December twenty-fourth. Really? That's what it says. So you better buy your copy before 9 p.m. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> so how about that Salbashima inking, man? Oh my gosh, I love that. He's got such a scratchy line style, you know. Like I didn't appreciate it back then. Like when he was drawing the the Clone Saga with Spider Man and all that, I did not appreciate it. But now, as I've grown older, I really do, and I just love it here. I, I love the thicker lines and the scratchiness. It just looks gorgeous. You never really appreciate some of these when you're younger, and then you go back and you're like, man, I was so dumb. I 
wasn't dumb. I was. It was incredibly was intelligent. No, no, I was super <laughs> smart, but I uh, just maybe not as um, refined as I am now. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> it's the like, holidays. There you go. Thank you. I'll, I'll make sure your stocking doesn't get cold. Um, I, I like. So here's the thing, Sal did. So like the the hacker. You know, you notice he's wearing that purple check shirt, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole time, it's got to be like a zipatone or something, or he just used uh, lines, but he did it uh, basically as checkerboard, or not checkerboard, but a little bit like um, graph paper. He did the checker, the checkered shirt like graph paper. Like no matter what angle the shirt in, no matter what folds are going on, the lines on his shirt are always perfectly vertical and perfectly horizontal, like a like a like a grid uh, graph paper. It looks such a it's such a cool visual effect. I think I made it pretty clear that I'm super smart. Again, it's the holidays. We'll go with it. All right, so I got another one because I'm really all about this this hacker guy right now. So look at I'll look on page four. Okay, third panel, hacker guy is doing what? He's hacking. It's not. It's not complicated. Okay. Was it that for me? My tablet is ancient. That was a softball. Anyway. All right. So the hacker's hacking, right? And he's sitting there with his fist upraised. It's 1997, two years after a certain cultural phenomenon explosion movie. So what pose is the hacker doing right here? He's doing Boris from Goldeneye. Ah. That's what he's doing. That is. Okay. Okay, yeah, it's clicking now. Uh-huh. Sorry, um, you were like this raising the arrow. I could think was like those guys from the Olympics at the <laughs> Nah, GoldenEye was 95, so I was going to, like, to me, that's why I can't help but think of Boris, you know, going like, I am invincible. I mean, not the big dramatic one where he gets the, 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 whatever, the, um, the crap that froze him, but, uh, but just a general, you know, I am invincible throughout the whole movie. Oh, you're right. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised that you know, that is the actual intention. Yeah. Yeah. Because remember, DC was all about the, the pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you what do you like in here? I like all of it. That is, that is the horrible answer. <laughs> no, I I just love the. Well, I mean, again, we'll go back to hacker guy. I love the fact that he's like actually asking real questions of the salesman and the guy's just like, it comes in a box. <laughs> you plug it in and it works. Right, right. And of course, you know, it doesn't help that his, his manager is definitely, you know, a retail guy because he's just like, close the sale. Yeah, make the sale. We all want to go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't go home unless you make a sale. Exactly. Well, they want to go. Exactly. I mean, that's it helps towards the Christmas bonuses, man. Mm-hmm. So did you notice what kind of computer it is? Yeah, it's a Wayne Tech. And did you see who was considering buying one for Batman? <laughs> yes, that's what was cracking me up when Kyle's like, I wonder if Batman could use one of these. Yeah. <laughs> I genuinely laughed out loud at that bit. Yeah. Like, Kyle, you know he has a bat computer, besides the fact you know that he owns the company. Uh, well, I don't know. At this point, he mean, I, I'm guessing oh, he doesn't. Oh, that's true. Ah, I mean, this early on in the JLA, I don't think they know each other's identities. I think that comes later, like, um, actually, that might even be the Mark Wade era. I'm not really sure. 
seven. You got to wear your 1997 hat. <laughs> so first, pe- uh, second page. So uh, Connor riding in on a glowing green reindeer. How <laughs> awesome is that? Perfect Christmas. I love it. And I love that, uh, you know, Kyle straight up says, I wasn't even trying to bring you. I just want, I wanted the flash because he's, you know, he's your go-to guy on the holidays, but I guess you'll do Connor. Like what, what a crappy thing to say to a friend, you know, (laughs) like, Hey, it's Christmas Eve. Come out with me. You know, I I realize Connor doesn't celebrate Christmas, but still it's like, you know, this is a crappy thing to do to a friend. Well, I mean, the way he says it, it's like literally like Connor was just up at the watchtower hanging out. There was nobody else around except for probably the Martian Manhunter who's on monitor duty. So well, it's he's just like, okay. Actually, it's a little worse. He goes, you're the only one there, which means Connor was on monitor, on monitor duty and Kyle pulled him off of it. <laughs> hey, you're supposed to be patrolling the world for like any potential criminal activity, you know, on this holiday where there's almost always supervillains doing something. Let's go shopping. Kyle Rayner's got the most powerful weapon in the universe on his finger, and he stops one lunatic in a shopping mall who doesn't even have powers. And technically, Kyle doesn't even stop him. That's true. Connor does doesn't. Kyle stops the, <laughs> the bullet from hitting anybody. So let me ask you, big picture, is this a Connor story or is this a Kyle story? Or is it both? Um, I'm going to say both, but on the, uh, on the condition that it's 60-40. 60 for who? Oh, the 60 for Connor. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, like, he gets the spotlight, definitely. He gets the, the major heroics. Uh, think of it in in the way that um, Big Trouble in Little China, you know, it's a Kurt Russell movie, and while you know you follow his character around, but he's not the hero. Hmm. He's the sidekick. Okay. So, All right. So, like in this in this instance, this would be Kyle being the sidekick. He's just he's uh, the vehicle for by which the whole plot started, but. Connor's the one that gets to step up and save the day. Yeah, I think that's fair because, I mean, it really – it has all the trappings of being a Kyle story. You know, Kyle's the one who brought him there. It's about shopping. It's commercialism. It's, you know, dippy 20-year-old who waited to the last minute to go Christmas shopping who I kind of probably was that guy in 1997. Um, And so it just – it makes a lot of sense to be a Kyle story. But, yeah, Connor gets the moment. So let's talk about the moment. So what did you pick up on? going on there because I had to think about what's going on there. Yeah, I had to read it two or three times to really catch what Connor does because it almost feels like uh, they wanted to do a little bit more and they realized they weren't going to get the extra two panels to do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when he because he, he very quickly slips the guy's knife away from him to the well, point he... that we don't even see it. Well, it, okay, so maybe we're reading it because, like, all right, 
So if you go to page nine where this is going on, you know, Connor's talking to the guy, right? And he's trying to get the guy to, to settle down. And we'll talk about all that in a minute. But he actually gets the guy to hand him his knife. He doesn't steal it. The guy hands Kyle his knife to to make a point. Like, I don't know, understand how – I think I said Kyle, Connor. I, I don't know how Connor convinced the guy to give him the knife, though. And Connor appears to be doing something with his right hand in his pouches. Yeah. And but then he shows up with an empty hand. Like, I don't know what that's supposed to represent. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But what's really going on here, and here's the interesting part, and this took me a little bit of research. So when Connor comes to the guy and he says, hey, you know, all of life is suffering, right? He goes, that is the first of four noble truths of Buddhism. Well, that led me on a little research path. So you Actually, have to refine the other three? They're all here. They're all here in this page, on page nine. So the first noble truth is suffering uh, is an innate characteristic of existence. So Connor makes that point, right? He says all life is suffering. The second noble truth is that together with suffering arises craving or desire. So, all right, Connor points that out here. He says that, um, that the idea is to recognize that life itself is impermanent and it's very craving for permanence that makes you unhappy. So he's talking about him wanting to be with this girl permanently is what's making him happy. It's a craving or a desire. That's the second noble truth. The third noble truth is suffering can be ended or contained by the renouncement or letting go of the desire or the craving, meaning you can, you can, the suffering can end. And so that's what he said. In fact, he's got his three fingers up in one of those panels. That's where he's talking about that one. He's saying, um, you know, uh, let's see. You've got to make peace with the present is what he's talking about there. And he's saying, you know, uh, believe me, I, I know what it feels like. There are things we don't have that we want, things that we lose that we want back. So he's talking about how the suffering can be contained there. And the fourth um, noble truth is, path, is the path leading to the confinement of desire and suffering. And that's where that's where we've got to make peace with the present part sort of line is. So uh, and, and being mindful, the, sorry, the present and the right mindfulness. So it's all right there. He laid it all out for him. So I think the writing is outstanding on this page once you really know what's going on, but the art sort of lets down what's going on, like why he gets the knife and is is there some sleight of hand going on there? Maybe is what he's supposed to be doing. I'm not really sure. Yeah, that, that was kind of me. Like, like I want to know what he was fidgeting in his pouch for. Yeah, but then it, you know he just shows him an empty hand. And well, I think that empty hand is supposed to be. Uh, renouncing the desire, renouncing the craving, letting it go, and then confining the desire and the suffering. I think that's what that's supposed to represent. It just didn't really get me there. As far as giving Connor the knife, I mean, I I can no-price it as this is some 19, 20-year-old kid that is just so... In his own head, he doesn't really even realize what he's doing. But. He did pull a knife on a nun in Christmas, so it's safe to say he doesn't. he's not in his right mind. Yeah. But apparently he knows the mall well enough to be able to walk over to the sporting goods and get dog. Right, yeah. Knew exactly where the shotgun was. You know, that was, in this day and age, seeing that happen was pretty disturbing. Yeah. So, hmm. I did like the moment, though, so to, to put it back to a superhero story. So he opens fire uh, and apparently misses everybody, it looks like. And Con- Connor drops to the ground, shoots an arrow straight up, 
but then the arrow comes back down right into the guy's boot. I love that. I thought that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, the first time I, I thought, you know, looking at the sound effects, I'm like, oh, Connor's a badass. And he just, like, fired it up and caught the shell. No. Oh, Kyle blocks it with the giant teddy bear. So did he? So Kyle did block it with the teddy bear? Yeah, that's what I took that to be. Okay. All right. Otherwise, you know, Kyle's kind of pointless right there. Yeah. But um, great sequence. It's good. Overall, I thought, you know, for a 10-page story, it gets a lot done. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun buddy, you know, road trip kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I thought the bit at the end was hilarious where Kyle, you know, he didn't get the lesson. You know, he didn't get it through his thick skull and he's still all about commercialism. Even though Connor really had a better, you know, uh, worthwhile message of friendship and mm-hmm. just woof, right over Kyle's head. Yeah. And, this, and you also kind of get the feeling Connor's just like, can you maybe like say, you know, we're pals? Right. So can you get kind of like a, a Chandler, Joey, Ross vibe going on between the two of these guys to some extent? Uh, of course, well, it's 1997, man. It was the number one show on TV. That doesn't mean I had to like it. Kyle lived above a coffee shop. He had the hair. I mean, he's he's the right <laughs> age. He lived in New York City. He is one of the cast of Friends, <laughs> just with the Green Lantern ring. And that's a good thing. And Tom Panneries would agree with me. Yeah, if you say so. <laughs> Y'all can watch it. That's fine. And then, of course, you know, once you're done reading the story, you realize that the name The Present means so much more. Yep. Plus, I like the fact that you know, it, it did the the double uh, double fake out. You know, you thought it was going to be a Kyle story. It turns out to be a Connor story. You thought it was going to be a Christmas story. It, well, it is a Christmas story, but it's a very Buddhist story too. Yeah. So hey, hey. Good point. I hadn't even thought about that side of it. Yeah. And I think this was the first time Devin Grayson wrote Kyle, and I'm pretty sure it's the first time Devin Grayson wrote Connor as well. Uh, I'm pretty sure because you know. Connor was Chuck Dixon's side project out of the bat books. Mm-hmm. And Kyle was, you know, with Ron Mars and, and Graham Morrison, pretty much. Yeah, 97, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which could have been Ron Mars. Yep. Hmm. Well, I thought it was a fun issue, and I'm really glad, or fun story, I'm really glad you gave me this opportunity to revisit it. Yeah. I'm glad you, glad you came on, because, you know, you're super smart, and I wouldn't have caught all these things. That, and it would just be people having to listen to Tom Panneries. So, hey, you know. (laughs) So, I mean, hey, surprised me here, Miss Grayson. That actually makes it very worth reading. Anytime I can say I like the Devin Grayson story... I'm happy. There you go. Of course, who, who am I to really judge? She got paid to write comics. I paid people so I could read them. <laughs> that's a that's a it's a very philosophical way to look at that. 
inappropriate. <laughs> All right. So do we have anything else to say about this one? Uh, no, I, I, not for me. I enjoyed it quite a bit. As I said, I'm going to make the ornaments. I'm really hoping you spiked, uh, you spiked the eggnog cause I'm going to go get myself a glass and, uh, I've really had a great time and thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for being here, Shay. Uh, before you go and we switch to some other people. Not um, quite so in, in entertaining people. He's going to kill me. <laughs> do let the people know where they can find you. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, they can find me over at the Firewater Podcast Network. I do shows such as the Justice League International Blah Ha Podcast and Once Upon a Geek. Uh, both uh, are living in the past, man. All about nostalgia. Uh, one about comic books, the other one about any geeky thing I feel like. And then, of course, there's a, a whole back catalog of stories with uh, Aquaman and Firestorm and Who's Who and a million different shows that we do as well. And uh, so, yeah, you can always find me over at the Firewater Podcast Network. So at this point, we will take a quick break. Shag will go get schnockered on some cheap Walmart eggnog. Woohoo! And I'll be back with, well, let's just say it, I'll be back with Tom Panneries. Ho, ho, ho! See, I was, I was calling Tom a ho. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm sure you all stuck with me after uh, listening to Shag. <laughs> I, I hope. Yeah, I don't think anybody's left, but hello if you are. <laughs> And for those of you who fast-forwarded through all of that, welcome to the show, Tom Panarese. Hi, how are you? <laughs> good, how are you, Tom? I'm good. Uh, we give Shag so much, so much grief, but then again, you know, the man's ego needs to be needs to be pushed back, down a little bit here and there. So that's that's what we're here for. At least that's what I'm here for. So, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm just hoping I don't uh, get cold in my stocking for uh, certain guests. <laughs> Not naming names. <laughs> uh, well, you're not going to get any cold from me, so. Well, good. Because Oklahoma winters aren't exactly known for their over-frigidity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, what's the holiday season like up there in Tomland? Oh, well, I am in Virginia, Central Virginia. Um, so, weather-wise, it can be a crapshoot. Um, thankfully, it can get cold 
you don't usually get a white Christmas around here because it doesn't usually start snowing for real until like January. Um, but we've had years where it's been like unseasonably warm and humid on a, on Christmas day. Uh, but it's, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Charlottesville. So I am around, uh, not very far from the, from like, uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, the mountains are, are gorgeous during Christmas time. Um, and you know, my family and I like to do just, you know, your, the usual stuff, but we have our little traditions of going to some of the local, local sites. Cause Charlottesville has a, has a nice, like a downtown mall shopping area. And, um, you know, the areas around here that are a little more tied to like the revolutionary war, like colonial, uh, like colonial America type of, of stuff has some, some really interesting stuff around. So, um, and that's always that's always fun to do. So yeah, it'll, I my favorite part of it, honestly, like I love the holidays just in general, and I love the lead up, and then I and and I I always get two weeks off too. So it's it's nice to have that lead up and really feel, um, really feel that you you don't have to rush into it. I feel like that's what we do with Thanksgiving every year because you know we, I get the day before Thanksgiving off, but it it feels like you're kind of barreling toward that. And then by the time you hit Christmas, most years, at least of the last couple of years, it's the break started with enough time before Christmas to feel that you can wind down without having to like, you know, rush into something. So that's been kind of nice. So I'm looking forward to it uh, this year. Okay. So if everyone has paid attention to the show notes, which is probably about three of you, (laughs) Because, you, you know, like, I don't know how often I read the show notes of stuff I listen to, just just the titles. But anyway, if you check the show notes, you'll know that Tom is here to discuss House of Peace. So, uh, Tom. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just assume you might be familiar with this Batman guy. Yeah, there was this movie that came out on my 12th birthday. Um, Magnolias? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Star Trek V was the movie <laughs> I went to see on my 12th birthday, even though I, uh, even though the, <laughs> the Batman movie came out that day. So priorities being what they are. But no, yeah, I actually, Batman's the reason I, um, I got into comics like for real. I, I had, I had collected comics for, Oh, about a summer or roughly a year around 1986, 87. And it was like all GI Joe and transformers. Cause I was about, you know, eight, nine years, eight, nine, 10 years old. Um, and that kind of faded. And then in 89, the Batman movie came out. Um, a couple of my friends started to get into the Batman titles. And then I started buying them about a year, nine months to a year later. Um, Right, my jumping on point was right when the Joker came back and Tim Drake's parents got kidnapped. And so within the first year of my reading Batman, Tim Drake became Robin. And then I was also reading like the Titans hunt over in the new Titans. So, so yeah, so I've, I've been, um, I, I collected and I read Batman books consistently until about the early 2000s. And, um, 
the writer of this piece, which is Chuck Dixon, was like my primary Batman writer through most of the back end of the 90s because, you know, budgets for comics being what they were, even though they weren't as expensive as they are now, there was only so much I could afford. And so instead of buying like all, I think they had like four Batman titles at that point, five, I think at one point they had a quarterly. Um, Detective was my main Batman book. So the Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan, Batman was um aside from the alan grant norm brayfogle batman was like one of my definitive batman uh you know runs so to speak or at least you know as as i was reading them so so yeah i've i've had a now i haven't really read batman in years like new batman comics in years i picked one up here and there so my uh this is kind of my my sweet spot for for the dark knight this 80s and 90s and early 2000s stuff just leads me right into the next question of where was Batman at this time? What year was this? 90. I should know this. And I... uh, the, the Green Lantern Kyle Rayner stories takes place in 1997. So okay. I should be right around. This was Oh, Oh, uh, we're we are some somewhere in the midst of, oh, and uh, so I'm going to be off by a crossover <laughs> or two. But like you know, where uh, the late '90s you have Contagion, Legacy, Cataclysm, and then No Man's Land. So we're somewhere in there, <laughs> and I don't remember which which was which year because the late '90s for me were college. And that all kind of blends together as like one big chunk. Like, so like, but especially with comics, because I would, you know, I would buy the comics or I would, I would order them and have the guy at my LCS back home, like hold on to them until I came home on a break. Cause I came home and I came home like once a month or so. And so I would read like chunks of comics, like all at once. And Every time we, uh, you know, I listen to a podcast or people start talking about certain characters or certain issues or certain storylines, I'm always under the impression that they were like a year or two earlier than they actually were. You know, so like I have no, I have very little time frame for what exactly what year certain things happen if they're not if they weren't like big events. Like I know when Kingdom Come was published, and I know when, um, uh, oh, like. Uh, <laughs> identity crisis and, and, and infinite crisis and like all like kind of the big marquee things came out, but like, you know, certain Batman crossovers. I'm like, I know there was a year where they didn't do any, but I also know like cataclysm led into the aftershock led into the no man's land. So it's, it's somewhere around, around that when there was like the earthquake in Gotham city or, or a plague or something like that. So, um, which, which kept, kept you buying all these titles. Although honestly, like, I think that when it came to No Man's Land, I actually only – I've never read that entire story because I just couldn't afford to buy the entire thing week in and week out. So I just stuck to the books I was reading, which I think were like Robin, Nightwing, and Detective. So um, I read all the Chuck Dixon stories <laughs> that had to do with with No Man's Land. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, from that, I guess we can pretty well just jump right into this. Mm-hmm. So, House of Peace, as mentioned, was written by Chuck Dixon, pencils by Dave Taylor, 
Inks by Wayne Foucher. Colors by Noel Giddings. Letters by John Costanza. Always like to see that. Mm-hmm. And editor was Darren Vincenzo. Which is a name that I'm still not overly familiar with. That is a name I have heard in the Bat books around this time. So he might have been, I don't know if he was the assistant editor on the Bat books or if he was, because I think Denny O'Neill was still editing Bat, the Bat books. So he might have been one of the, one of the two or three assistant editors. And they, he also gives a special thanks credit to Jordan B. Gorfinkel, who is, of course, another assistant editor of the Bat books. So, our story opens with young Danny and his booby. <laughs> okay, I'm going to just interject right now. Sean Ross, I'm sorry, I'm totally saying this with Oklahoma. So, so the bubby, basically. Uh, so. Yeah. But, yeah. Sean, Sean's going to just read me for this. <laughs> He's going to be like, you did a <laughs> yes, Sean. I can I can branch out. Okay, so to recap <laughs> Young Danny and his booby. Okay. For those of you who are completely non Jewish, Bobby's grandma. Yeah. It's an affectionate I wanna say it's like a Yiddish word. But I'm not entirely sure. Uh, because she refers to him as. Okay, I looked it up. I, I know the pronunciation. I just can't remember it exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like psychic. Yeah. It, it sounds similar to psychic. Yeah. But yeah, it just means like dear one. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, basically she's calling it him sweet. Young Danny and his booby. Gonna get past this. Are attending Sabbath services during Hanukkah. Danny notices more people than usual. In fact, many more people. And his grandmother makes sure to tell him that the extra people's gifts to the temple are enough to pay for the entire year's worth of upkeep. As Rabbi Schwartz makes his way down the aisle with the oil for lighting the menorah, a man with a gun runs in knocks over the rabbi, and steals the gift money. While the people in attendance are worried more about the rabbi and the money, he, however, is more worried about the oil. It was the last of the temple's supply, and the Sabbath is fast approaching. In the confusion, Danny dashes out of the temple. Outside, the robber finds his own share of bad luck. Turns out he robbed the wrong synagogue in the wrong neighborhood because Batman just happens to be patrolling this part of Gotham. Batman makes very quick work of the hoodlum and drags the man back through the snowy streets to the synagogue. Later at Beth Shalom Synagogue, I gotta love it, Beth Shalom, we see that services come to an end and everyone reflects on the original miracle of the as well as the miracles they all experienced this night. The gift money has been returned. 
the thief turned over to Gotham police, and the menorah was able to be lit, thanks to Danny, who supplied the oil from his family's personal supply. And that is our quick six-page story of House of Peace. All right. So, Tom, what do you think of this? This is a nice little story centering around Hanukkah that um, does not does not do that thing where like somebody is explaining Hanukkah to somebody who's not Jewish. <laughs> you know, um, there's a, cl- I mean, it's a classic legion of superheroes story where I think they're, they're talking about Christmas and stuff. And I think there's an acknowledgement that like, Oh, colossal boy or somebody is Jewish or I'm getting it totally wrong, but, um, no, colossal th- boy is Jewish. yes. Yeah, so I think there's like, there's like a mention of it. I think it's from like, Oh, the seventies or so. Um, you know, but th- that that's like within a 30th century context. So like you totally get like why they would be explaining holidays to one another that are, you know, perhaps more based, you know, in, in, in this time. But, you know, you, you get a, you know, my, my context for stuff this, for stories like this are usually like sitcom episodes and stuff. And, and, and Hanukkah is not brought up very often. And a lot of times you have the sort of, they they are doing a little bit of a little too much explaining to the audience of like what Hanukkah is aside from like, you know, and I'm putting quotes up to the mic Jewish Christmas, like, because that's what, you know, Christians often say. So they just, um, uh, Dixon and, uh, uh, kind of just writes this as if like, you know, we're just watching it happen and doesn't feel the need to, um, you know, run through, <laughs> Like, what is all of this? Um, you know, we get a little bit of explanation as to what's going on when the rabbi is doing the service, but that's what the, but it, it seems like it's a natural sort of, um, recitation of something that you would see in any religious service in the same way that, like, I don't know if you're, uh, a, of a Christian denomination and you go to a Christmas Eve service, there's certain prayers that are said that do a lot of explaining as to what, you know, and all that, or, or, you know, some sort of ritual part of the, part of the ceremony. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And then I like how, um, I like how Batman gets the money back and just kind of delivers it, but doesn't really make an appearance within the synagogue. And it's just kind of like this miracle. Um, and the kid, you know, Danny, Danny is, is also the hero there. I thought that was a nice, um, little, little touch. So it is, it is, a, it's a, it's a sweet little story. Um, the artwork is pretty solid. Uh, Dave Taylor is doing a pretty good Graham Nolan impression. Uh, it is. It's very like there are certain panels where I'm like that looks very Graham Nolan, and and that's not a um, that's not a knock against him. He's you know uh, he's illustrating the story very well. I will say the the one of the crooks is wearing a black shirt with like a white alien face on it. You know the the gray alien type of faces. It, you know, it's in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Because I it kept distracting me because I kept thinking like, it looks kind of like the Punisher's old insignia. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Dixon wrote the Punisher, uh, for a while in the early nineties, but I don't think it was, I think it was just, yeah, this is the nineties. So let's have this guy have like an alien face on a, on a t-shirt, on a t-shirt or whatever. So, um, Batman doesn't say a word in the story either. Which is pretty cool. <laughs> it's just like he takes him out pretty quickly and then 
and then you know the last panel we see of Batman and anything is him dragging the the crook off because he's knocked him out. So I I, I really like that. So yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I mean your points. I gotta echo pretty much everything uh, as far as Rabbi Schwartz giving basically you know telling the audience and everything the, the littlest bit of Hanukkah. Yeah, mm-hmm. said it, it feels like basically what somebody would just be reciting as their standard holiday service in this part of the country. Basically, we we get the uh, Christmas pageant that just just tell the story of the nativity the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It's you know, just varying degrees of different kids. <laughs> We used to do those. <laughs> I remember those with like somebody's doll as the baby Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, so the, the more you think about it, the more it's like, why do we have nine year olds being the parents in the Virgin Mary? And I don't know. I do like the, you know, Gotham's, uh, Gotham is often a stand-in or, or a composite of, of various cities, but it's obviously very often associated with New York. Um, and uh, in, in the Batwoman TV show, it was Chicago. If you ever watched the show, the establishing shots were all Chicago. Um, but, you know, the the synagogue looks like in a city synagogue that you would see in like a like a Manhattan or in, in like Queens or something like that. Um, you know, the snow on the ground, the, 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 the color, I get you know, credit to the colorist. Um, you know, the outside, the outside shots of Batman, the crook and everything, it really does feel like a cold winter night, um, with all the use of blues and, and things. And the inside, uh, shots of the temple are all warm tones. And I thought that was, I, I like that, that contrast and, in colors, because this is around the time, and I don't know if this has been recolored. I'm, I don't know if this has been recolored for um, digital uh, or what, because I'm reading it off the DC uh, Infinite app. But um, I would like to think that it wasn't, because this is the around the time. Uh, if this is the mid to late '90s, where coloring in comics was starting to come into its own a little more, and move away from what the limitations were pre. You know, digital. So there was, a, I think, there was a lot more experimentation with like what they could actually do with colors, as opposed to just the way it was kind of standard in, you know, uh, the '80s, for instance, and things like that. So, um, so I, I gotta ask, how do you feel about Batman basically being a guest star in his own story? <sighs> I didn't mind it because it's a because it's not a 2020s book. Oh, well, that too. Um, I just read the Batman 89 series last night because I had, I had to let it pile up. He, and I think Andy Leyland had said on Facebook, like, yeah, he's barely in his own book. It's kind of that way. Yeah. No. Well, the other thing is, it's like what a six, seven page story. And, um, you know, I think, I think stories like that lend themselves well to having the hero like focusing on like the individual person and having the hero like not be um the centerpiece of the story 
uh, I'm reminded actually of a couple of episodes of the old animated series where, um, like almost got him is a classic one where he, he, you know, he's, he's in the story, but like he's told through the lens of somebody else. And there's another one where, um, I don't remember the title of it, but they're, they're basically stories about Batman through the eyes of different people and the, all the Batman wow. interpretations are clear to like one's like a Frank Miller pastiche. The other one's a Dick Sprang thing, you know, so, so, so the, he's a great character and Superman's another great character for this where like you can have a story of the people in the city talking about um, the, the character or you could have him like especially Batman really works um, and this era of Batman where Batman was really in the shadows quite a bit um, when it came to the general public. I think this might've also been like the urban Batman's an urban legend era uh, that, you know, the post zero hour thing where like they tried to make it seem like, you know, people didn't weren't exactly sure if he existed in Gotham and um, yeah. we're not sure if Batman exists, but we see him on TV with the justice league. Yeah, they fly. They fly the signal. Yeah, it never really fully worked, but the idea that, but I think the idea that with, I don't know, seven eight million people in Gotham City, not everybody is going to be able to see the Batman on the street every day because it's just too many people. So the idea that you can kind of like still be surprised that you ever came across him or that he can kind of hide in plain sight or in the shadows like that really, really works. And, and so I think, um, this being that era of Batman, him showing up to do the job and then moving on, especially cause it's like a petty thug and not like the penguin or the Joker or the, you know, it's not a, it's not one of his rogues gallery. Um, there's no need for, uh, for him to have like a central role. And, um, and I think it keeps a nice focus on the holiday as well. What do you think of the panel layouts? Hmm. Well, flipping back through. Um, I thought it was done pretty well. Uh, the There's a lot of... <laughs> They've gone away from that the old school grid where there was spaces between the panels... And we're late enough into the 90s where the panels aren't like shards of things stacked up on one another. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like yeah. everything's a rip. I was reading an old – I grabbed, I got a Marvel grab bag from my LCS. They do like these three $3 grab bags where they just shove a bunch of like good to very good condition <laughs> comics into something. And you can buy like five or six of them for three bucks. Professor Allen would love it. Um and there was like an X-Force from like 93, 94 in there. And it was, oh man, <laughs> that, that was your panel layout. Just like torn and screaming and yelling. And this is a lot more subdued. And this is almost, um, you could, it, it, it has the, it has the feel of, of having be actually, it, it, I was a yearbook advisor for 10 years and I could see how you would put these pages together using like, <laughs> in design or something like you're laying the panels on top. But I think the, I like, so on, on page 14, for instance, um, I like how the artists, uh, the artist and the editor and whoever is doing this uses the big moment as a background and the smaller, uh, like the one shot, two shot conversational parts are in panels. So like on page 14, you have, um, 
the very bottom half of the page is the criminal running off, all happy that he's made with the loot. And um, behind him is Batman with tons of capage flying in about to like, you know, tackle this guy. And the first half of the page is, um, you know, the rabbi being like the oil's gone, the criminal running, then him like the, the him threat fretting over that and the criminal escaping. But the, the behind those panels is like what's part of the upper part of Batman's cape as well as the blue sky. So it's, it's almost like an inset. I think that's a really, really clever layout, especially since you don't have that much real estate to, um, to tell this story if you're trying to tell it in like was it six seven eight pages you know um you don't you don't have you can't fill up a whole page with the conversation between uh the rabbi and the members of the synagogue about the oil and the money being lost you have to do it and so i think i think it's a really good mix of scenes and things like that uh, if i have any complaints about it um it, and this is this is more on me than on the story. I think I read it too fast the first time mm-hmm. because I had to go back and like reread it to realize that, you know, Danny had ran home to grab the oil. I caught him running out and, you know, they're, cause they tell Danny's story about getting the oil in like three panels tops. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in, in the middle of while the actual Batman action is going on. So it was kind of like, I, I, I don't know, maybe my brain wasn't just, I wasn't catching what they were throwing the first time. <laughs> well, it's interesting that he writes these as two parallel stories that don't directly intersect with one another. So, um, you know, Danny yeah. doesn't get, Danny doesn't run the risk of getting shot and killed. Um, Batman doesn't save Danny's life. Uh, you know, the, the, the two, I'm on the page right now. The two actions are connected by the fact that the guy Batman's beating up robbed the synagogue and spilled the oil that Danny's goes. So they're both saving, they're both saving the day, but it's, it is a completely parallel climax to the story. Um, and yeah, there, there's, uh, yeah, there's three panels on, of him, of him running and, um, and three panels of, of Batman beating the guy up, which kind of implies like a quick cut in, um, in a TV show or, yeah. or something, uh, which I think that's what they were trying to accomplish. Uh, and I'm sure it's like, you know, because they had to conserve real estate, you know, mm-hmm. six, six pages and such, but you know, there's no scene of Danny coming back and saying, here, Rabbi Schwartz, here's some oil. Yeah. Yeah, you you get there is a there's a gap in time on the very last page between Batman having nailed the crook and is dragging his unconscious body through the snowy street because under Batman's left arm, you can see the corner of the money box. And then the next panel is the rabbi blessing the congregation. I don't know if congregation is the right word here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Put that too. In yeah. Um, and uh, and then saying like you know the miracles happen tonight. We got the money back. So there there's a there there's like a. I think you're right. It's it's the real estate aspect of it that you you only had so much to show 
that you could show in the space that you had. So they did skip Danny coming in with the, with the oil. And, um, I don't know how Batman returned the, um, money unless he just kind of left it there in a, in a conspicuous place. And, uh, and there, and and it was there and then somebody found it. Um, so I picture it kind of like a daredevil sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. might have just been completely up in the rafters and dropped it. Yeah. Gone. Who knows? He, he does have, have a tendency the criminal. I don't know. <laughs> he does have a tendency to do that. So <laughs> it's kind of show up, do something and leave. And then people are like, what was that? So, um, it, 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 I don't know if we necessarily need Batman dropping it off. We knew he was going to give the money back. Maybe a panel of her reaction to something would have been just a yeah. little bit, a little bit more. We didn't need the whole scene, but you know, um, but, uh, but you know, it, even then with what, what they had to, what, what space they had to work with, um, it seemed to work. Cause it seems like Batman might've left the criminal and the, and the money at the, entrance to the temple and alerted the police because the last panel is the police taking the guy away cuffed. So, you know, we don't know necessarily know it. it would have been interesting to see how he, how he did that. But you know, it's, it's a, it's a miracle of the season. So we, so maybe that's part of the reason why we, we don't see it. It's just like we, we accept it the way they do. Which notice, you know, they resisted the urge to put Bullock and Montoya in there. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they're just generic cops. <laughs> yeah. Now, if this were Batman the animated series, we'd have had Montoya show up and give us the moral of the story. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. And Harvey just looked like Harvey. <laughs> yeah. And it would have ended with, I, I can't do it the way Michael Bailey does it. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, this is, this is very nice. And, um, the, uh, you know, the, the fact that Danny is the one to bring the oil, um, you know, it, it sends the holidays aren't necessarily just for children, but there's a, there's a childlike aspect to it. And, and there's a, you know, he's an innocent kid who kids, often mostly have a sense a very strong sense of right and wrong. And, um, that's the type of thing a kid would do. You know, I mean, like I know how to fix this and would run out and get it. It's, it's something we we've seen in, in, in other stories where the kid, you know, like knows the solution to the problem and, and goes, goes ahead and does it. And, you know, um, and people are very grateful for it. So, you know, good on Dixon for, for having the kid, especially having the kid do it, especially because of the way his grandmother explains to him that to a lot of the people there who were only showing up for that night, maybe they've traveled from out of town or whatever. This place is very, very important to them. So like it shows that like, He's learned over the course of this, he's learned that lesson. He's listened to what she told him. 
Um, so it is also, you know, so that kind of brings that around a little bit more. Because there's no dreidel or gifts in the story either. So, <laughs> well, no, I mean because it's like we associate, you know, is for all of the religious symbolism and the religious aspects of of, of the holidays, but Christmas and Hanukkah and um, and you know others, um, at least in this country, Christmas, for instance, is a huge gift giving holiday, and Hanukkah is for for kids is tends to be a gift giving holiday. So. Uh, Nixon removed that aspect of it and showed something a lot more meaningful than just like, you know, he didn't return gifts to the orphanage or something like that. You know? <laughs> so, so that, that's also very, very nice. The Grinch's heart didn't grow three sizes. Though. <laughs> yeah. I would say we pretty well covered this one. Yeah, pretty much. It's a nice little holiday story. Yeah. Batman's not necessarily needed, but Showing up doesn't hurt. Yeah, he beats the snot out of some punk. So, you know, um, with who who rightfully needs to be beat up because of the um, that terrible facial hair and the ponytail, <laughs> and the, it's just you know nineties nineties comic. He is really the nineties comic thug. You know how in eighties X Men comics there would always be some punk. You know, eighties <laughs> comics had a lot of punks. Mohawks and things like that. This is this is the '90s version of of that. The the goatee guy with the ponytail and the you know the scruffy looking dude. So That's one of the best gags off Family Guy ever. Oh no, it's a 1980s interracial gang. <laughs> it's like it was just like a, a hodgepodge of like, okay, we gotta have we gotta have a black guy, we gotta have a Mexican guy, we gotta have a white guy with a mohawk. <laughs> So, so let me tell you. So, you watched either Death Wish or The Warriors last night. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, oh, I know what I need to draw. (laughs) Yeah, we got to draw the Baseball Furies. Um, Exactly. They're not all themed. Oh, well, there's there's going to be a dude with a bat. And if they show up with a sledgehammer, they're clearly referencing Streets of Fire with Michael Pere and Willem Dafoe. So, which I talked about a few months ago on my show. So there you go. <laughs> uh, Tom, well, since this is your first time on this show, as many of the people on the special will be. You get to answer the lovely Coffee and Comics quiz. All right. So, starting out, what do you consider to be your beverage of choice? You know, we really like coffee here, but we're okay with other things. So, you know, beverage of choice. Um, if I'm in the morning, it is black coffee. Um, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, uh, uh, a specific preference. It doesn't have to be anything, um, you know, artisanal or, or really, really high end. I will, I will go to Seven Eleven and and get a twenty ounce cup of black coffee if I if I uh, need to. Uh, I do have my, you know, I do have my limits. I've I've had some really bad coffee in the past, but black coffee, um, water and like Coke Zero, I think are the other two that I probably drink the most. <laughs> 
next time. Just to let you know, you know, that that's the easy question. They just get harder from here. Okay. So question two. Betty or Veronica? Oh. <laughs> See, the chasing Lee and chasing Amy things to say you wanted both at the same time. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Uh, God, I go back and forth on this because they're both... In in the Riverdale TV show, it's Veronica. Um, in from the the classic comics, probably Betty. <laughs> so I hedged. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair enough answer. Okay, so uh, next one's probably a little more in your wheelhouse here. Um, Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X Men. Oh, the Wolfman Perez Titans, because um, that's my that's my all time favorite series. Uh, but I, I love the Claremont Byrne X Men, so I'm not not going to disparage one over the other. But I, I, you know, my <laughs> if if I have to sell my entire comic collection for some reason and I'm able to keep one like run of comics, it's the Wolfman Perez Titans. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, Wolfman Perez. Okay. Does that include Troya and Danny Chase issues? Because, um, you know, the, there's a story about you and Troya. <laughs> oh, the fact that in order to in order for somebody to notice our letters, my friend and I <laughs> repeatedly asked them to kill her in the 90s. <laughs> we weren't sincere. We just figured we needed a gimmick. But, yeah, there are there are letters published in old issues of New Titans. Um like somewhere between the during the Titans hunt and up until about maybe the zero issue, there's like three or four letters where we would be like, we want the last thing we would request is for them to kill Donna Troy. Um, no, I probably hold on to those Troy. I probably hold on to those Troy issues as well because the, um, the, the return of Perez, at least at first was like really, really solid. And, uh, you, you, you accept you don't accept Danny Chase, but you put up with Danny Chase as much as you absolutely need to. And to, to their credit, and oh, this is about ten years ago they put out games. The uh, the graphic novel that they've been working on and it shelled for two decades. They like <laughs> they had Danny Chase in that story become like they they made him. I don't know if likable is the right word. But like with what happens in this story with him, you're just like you're actually rooting for the kids. So um, credit to those those two for for being able to do what I didn't think was possible. Um, Terry Long's a whole other story, but we're just <laughs> yeah, and you, yeah. You you'll notice I didn't include Terry Long <laughs> like an option here. You just just you have to accept that he's there. He's he's like one of those relatives that you just like. I'm related to you. Yes, I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? And this list just gets shorter by the day, it seems. Oh, yeah, because I'm thinking. Okay, like I'm 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 running through the li- I'm running th- I'm I'm picture I'm not in my I'm not in my office at my at my home office here so I don't have any comics in front of me. Um like all the ones that I really really like have been done. Um 
probably because I'm staring at the poster right now and because I did an entire podcast about this series, I'm going to go out and like a completely left field here. I think it would be interesting to produce a series of shorts based on Doug Murray and Michael Golden's run on the nom. Yeah. Or, or like a, or like a, bearing that if you can't get that, uh, uh, I don't know. Have they done a Sergeant rock, like a star spangled war stories, like some old war comics, like, other genres beyond just the superhero stuff that would be that don't involve superheroes that that would be really really interesting um to see i think there's a, like one animated short and mm-hmm. you know the few appearances like justice league such. yeah but yeah I, I know what you mean like like an hbo max mm-hmm. actual a gritty yeah. war series starring yeah Rock. yeah or or if you're gonna go marvel like i said the nom or maybe um maybe some of the garth ennis punisher vietnam centered stuff some of that is really really good so question five villain most in need of decaf <laughs> Um, probably the Joker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if we're being honest. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to think of somebody over at Marvel, maybe the Green Goblin, you know, (laughs) just... (laughs) Mm, probably Norman. I'm not really familiar with the, uh, I haven't read much of the, um, the, the other I've only read I, I, from the Spider-Man I've read. It's mostly been the classic stuff. So, so I'll say, I'll say Norman, but like, even though I'm pretty sure that Norman in his, uh, in his, uh, in his civilian identity is, is, is he's a lot more calmer so that, you know, maybe, maybe he, he needs to maybe <laughs> not take the uppers. Jameson needs some decaf. But that's a whole other. <laughs> he doesn't need decap. He needs pictures of Spider Man. <laughs> okay. So, question six: Who is the best super pet? And no, it's not just because of that movie that came out this year. <laughs> um, I like. I, I've always, I've always liked Crypto, just because. It's just it's because crypto to me is like one of the classic ones, and uh, so and uh, I have a yeah. <laughs> it's really how I really have any other explanation. In fact, I just like I like crypto. So, all right, folks, you know I gotta ask it, Tom. Can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman? Ooh, that's a tough fight. I would say possibly yes, because Mighty Mouse can use his smaller stature to his advantage. Um, and uh, and I would Im- I want to say that Mighty Mouse is probably quicker, but maybe I'm wrong here. <laughs> but I think his I think his small size would be something, and, and the ability to fly with that small size is that he would be able to get more hits in on um, on Superman than Superman would get to be able to get it on him. 
And now the last question. Would you rather have a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? Or, comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor? Oh, wow. How good is Doom with follow-through? Oh, well, because I value my friendship with Professor Allen, I'm going to go with the latter and say that, you know, I, I Dr. Doom owing me a favor might be probably the better option as long as it's not some weird Faustian bargain type of thing. <laughs> Just some monkey's paw crap, you know. <laughs> you think there are no strings at that? I don't know. Hail Doom. <laughs> Alan's very proud of me right now. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Oh. He chose to make things expensive. <laughs> the finance oh. professor. Oh, have you ever asked him that question? Yes, I have. Uh, what was his answer? That was long ago in <laughs> remember what I had for breakfast. And he'll take the fifth, so... <laughs> uh, I, I believe um, Professor Allen said something about in that area, comics are always inexpensive. <laughs> you have to remind Allen that death is not an option in that question. <laughs> <laughs> Although I suppose death could be the option if you chose the cheap comics and you pissed off Dr. Two. <laughs> Uh, oh well. <laughs> well, that worked out pretty well, Tom. Yeah. I appreciate you being here with me, you know, slumming it here on this show. Oh, please! Have you listened to my show? Um, no, thank you very much for having me on. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> so, if for any reason there are people listening to this show that have absolutely no idea about your existence. Do please tell them where they can find me. Sure. Um, I have two shows over on the Two True Freaks uh, Internet Radio Network. One is called Pop Culture Affidavit. Um, it is uh, everything random in the world of popular culture. So it's movies and TV and comics and music and such. And I just have a different topic every episode. Um, I have a, I did do a, I, I was mentioned the nom earlier. I did a 100 episode show called in country, which covered the nom from top to bottom. Um, I finished that a few years ago, but that's still over on the two true freaks network. If anybody wants to go back and listen to that. And, um, the other show that I have is called required reading with Tom and Stella, uh, Stella, who is from the Batgirl, the Oracle podcast. Uh, she and I take, uh, one book every month and talk about it, critique it, discuss it. And, uh, that's, that's monthly. And if you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me at pop F that's P O P A F F. Tom, thank you for stopping by. Yeah. Thank you. And I will figure out an outro for this at some point. Like last year, I'm going to wait and cover listener feedback all the time. Movies, TV, comics, music. 
pop culture affidavit has it all. It's everything random in the world of popular culture, and it's all covered by me, Tom Panneries. New episodes drop monthly at twotruefreaks.com. And be sure to check out blog posts about random pop culture topics at popcultureaffidavit.com. Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork. folks and there you have it the first of four episodes covering this wonderful dc holiday feature so i uh, will have three more coming in the next few weeks before christmas it's our big holiday countdown of course uh, i know i have overdue feedback from the last episode which was unfortunately several months ago but don't worry, I will get to it, folks. I promise I will have a feedback special somewhere after all this is done. I promise you. So stick with us and see who the next guests are to cover some stories from this wonderful anthology. Thank you for sticking with me, and I will see you next time here where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg.